The International IVF Initiative is a worldwide non-profit education project for the assisted reproductive technologies community, sharing scientific and practical knowledge for embryologists, reproductive scientists and anyone working in the ART community. Each episode will share an insight into the world of IVF, along with profiles of legends within the world of ART, latest news and wisdom from our community. Here's your host, Giles Palmer. Welcome again to the i3 Podcasts. We're well into our season now. We've had many podcasts. I hope you're following and I hope you're going to give us some more ideas in the future. What you are going to hear now is corporate IVF. How will the growth of the giant IVF companies, whether in healthcare, technology, or with the consumables, affect the growth of clinical embryology, the profession, and the research? So we're going to hear how the webinar went and their feelings on the topic of corporate IVF, whether per DM or permanent embryologists, or keeping up with the conglomerates. We're going to rejoin the panel in the after party, which follows the webinar. Guys, congratulations. I knew that it will be a great webinar, but it was beyond imagination. It was absolutely fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Good. And a lot of interest, guys. A lot of, lot of interest. I mean, that, that was incredible. I really enjoyed it. And I appreciated everyone facilitating this. It was really fun. It wasn't just timely, but any time that we can do that and, you know, and get like, the big businesses and, and, you know, and get management involved, you know, is worth it because there's an interest for that. You know, I mean, we do do science, you know, webinars, but the, the, the actual structure of that, you know, so many embryologists do go into business anyway, but there's so much which has gone on. There's been COVID that's gone on. There's this disruption and of course you know the thought of um you know companies coming in and and being part of a large network so um there was a lot to talk about i i agree i thought the questions were great you know i, I think that what people do is in the absence of information they they make up their own story and they come up with this idea that you know um these platform providers are you know a big bag bean counters in, a, in an ivory tower somewhere dictating protocols and, and telling people how to practice medicine you know, one of the things you might want to think about, and I'd certainly be happy to participate uh, to the extent there was interest, is, you know, uh, a, you know, broader question answer, more like a town hall sort of format. So people can ask, you know, questions to their heart's extent, and they can, you know, no matter, no matter how controversial the question might be, might seem, um, you know, uh, I think it's, I think it helps demystify some of uh, what's happening. And, and reality is, is that, you know, this is, you know, we think of, if you think about as Barry was commenting about, Fertility as an industry, I mean, oncology, cardiology, orthopedics, those are, those are industries. I mean, they, they have, they're, they're, they're more professionalized than fertility has gotten to yet so, so far, but it's headed that way. And a lot of these questions that people have have been answered. And to the extent that you've been in fertility your whole career, you may not have seen some of these things elsewhere. And so there's a lot of things we can do to build people's minds at ease by answering their questions. I do think there's a lack of knowledge on that aspect and people may be, uh, resenting this evolution that is probably a natural evolution. So understanding that will allow us to probably more embrace this rather than, you know, and recognize, you know, you know, watch, you know, watch the tide rise instead of, you know, and know what's going on versus running away when, when they may not be need to do so. Right. There's so many participants as well in the chat. Do you get a real good temperature check for what's, what people are thinking and feeling out there? That was kind of a big insight for me today. It's so many people on attending today's uh, webinar you get a real sense of what they're saying and the areas of commonality as well there are like emotive topics there tj one of the questions that i think someone asked you was how much like, interference do you put into a lab well it, it's like any business i think you know you don't go there you want to just see that it's running as 
as an organization and you let the people you know do their work and you hire um, smart people and you let them do what they're supposed to be doing yeah exactly yeah see yeah. tj buys good practices and i get hired to resuscitate the bad ones so <laughs> i have to have a hundred percent interference because i'm going in to fix yeah. yeah, but the doctor, as I said before, the doctor yeah. only goes to the sick, you see, doesn't yeah. it? You see, so, oh, Kathy, I'm, Kathy, very blessed, awesome. I'm very blessed to partner with really blue chip practices and amazing embryology teams and amazing lab directors across the country. Uh, so, so, Kathy, I'm, I'm I think that's a, a, real, a real consideration when you're considering, I think, uh, you know, taking over a lab or going to help resuscitate a lab, if it mm -hmm. is the lab, you know, mm -hmm. and, and my question that I wrote down was, you know, we can't control the raw materials, you know, in mm -hmm. the lab. So how do you, when you, and, and, you know, we all have this responsibility here to some degree, you know, how do you control the output when you don't really have full control of, of the input? How do you vet clinicians or how do you, how do you monitor or uh, change their practices? Well, I have a standardized system, so I go back on, I don't know, I'm told over 30 years of my experience, and that's why I use it and won't vary for it because I know what it can do and what it has done at many, many practices. Um, I, I really have to admit, I, I've, I've been told I've done 36 in the last 13 years since I've left RMA, and only one was a doctor issue. Well, I think we're finally recognizing that there's more than one currency. It's not just, it used to be the more you spent, the less you made. You know, it was dollars. And now I think, you know, talk about patient experience, staff experience, staff retention, the cost of training someone, you know, putting, you know, having a work-life balance. Some of these things that are actually really important in the big picture that I think are starting to become recognized as valuable. So allowing people to, you know, work on nice equipment or current equipment and not have to work with, you know, you know, a crank handle on a car versus a starter, you know, is, is much, is, is, I think being recognized as being more important. And hopefully this will raise awareness and, uh, uh, and raise that boat. Yeah, and that comes from, I think, having people that are playing the long game. I mean, if you're, if you're you know, looking at how much money can I take out of the business in, in this quarter or this month, you know, for profitability perspective versus saying, I want to re I want to, you know, invest in the growth of the business, invest in, in, in order to do that, in order to grow the business, you got to have great outcomes for patients. You've got to re-experience those patients and you've got to have people and you've got to have people who are passionate about working there. And so, that, that's the only way it works. And now we can work flexible. I mean, you know, it's not always about salary. It's probably easy for, you know, for us to say. I gave a talk in Arizona recently and, and it was about staffing it was about, and it was about burnout. And someone came to comment on a question. She came with baby in arm, you know, very upset about the way that that person was treated. But now, you know, there is flexible working. It's not like a wild thing. You know, we can do that. We can give support for, um, um, you know, for our staff. By doing that, we'll have, you know, like I said earlier, more recharged uh, people who want to be there and want to stay and and only giving them time off during the two weeks of December that we close the lab doesn't work. <laughs> now, Kathy, we did have a few comments uh, about the generation issue. There are some great young embryologists there. One of them is, is here now with us now, Vicky, I know. But I think if people have the patience to stick with it, I think it's a job that changes every day. Now, I know you shouldn't get lumbered with doing 25 egg collections in one day. You can, you know, you can change that round. Um, so again, it could be in, you know, in other training of them as well. What I, what I don't, what I don't see is, uh, the motivation for self-training. So I think the oldsters on here, you know, we would stay late and train and, you know, wanted to be the best and, you know, 
I just don't see that in the younger generations. They, they, they're very rigid in their work hours and they don't understand. We have to train them, but our job is not to train. You know, they're, you know, we show them, do one, they need to stay and practice and practice. I, I remember my first Dixie for weeks, I sat there injecting, injecting, so nervous for the next day, but I just don't, I, I think it's just because it's, you know, it's IVF. Everybody does IVF. It's just something. I, I don't know. I, I don't see that motivation. Maybe Peter, Barry, do you see that oh, motivation in your I, lab? I, to I, have to say, I have to say, you know, that I believe in the young generation. They are different. You know, mm -hmm. I think in many ways they are smarter than my generation, at least smarter than me. But I think, you know, when they get the opportunity to prove themselves, I think they do and they can step up. So, you know, maybe, you know, I am I am very lucky to have a fantastic embryology team here at RBA, but they are exceptional. They are really exceptional. So, you know, maybe your experience is a little bit different than my experience, but I, I see definitely the ability and the willingness, you know, for, for them to step up when it's needed. I agree. I think they're good, Peter, but, and I agree with Kathy's description. Uh, in my laboratory, I've got a wide range of ages. I mean, from brand new to, to old, old duffs, you know, they've been around forever. And the problem isn't that the young ones aren't good. They're very good. Um, but they don't communicate in the same way with the, with the older embryologists. There's a, for the first time in my career, I've got communication problems that I really haven't been able to, to get a great handle on. I've, I've never, never not had that. But right now, it's just the, the baby boomers that are graying out don't talk the same language as the brand new ones. So it's not a matter of whether they're good or not. They're good. You have, to text with, you have to text with them, not to talk with them. I'm just going to hire a translator. <laughs> Rusty, I think, though, I think, though, that you're, you're describing a problem that's not just a problem for embryology. I mean, this, yeah. I, mean I, could, I could walk down to the accounting department, the legal department, and, and, and find you a boomer and a, and a, and a millennial that would that talk about, you know, uh, you know, this person's not staying late, this person's not working hard, and, and, and communication, oh, those are the, the thrills, yeah. you're hitting what it is, and I think yeah. you've got a generation of people who are, you know, uh, you know not being as ambitious, I'm, I'm, I'm the Gen Xer in the middle here, so I can be the, 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 the bridge, but you know, you have the, the, the millennials where I think it's just a generation of people who are, are more willing to ex like be accepting of the idea they're not as ambitious, but there still are ambitious ones in there, but yeah. they still have uh, the problem with communication and all that. And that, that's not limited to the embryology lab. That's happening everywhere all over our industry, as well as every other industry too. Yeah, that's what the parents of the real young ones are telling me. It's the same thing at home. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, and I think many of them, you know, think, to be quite honest, with all due respect, you know, and I agree with everything you guys are saying, but many of them expect, you know, a gold star just for showing up, it yeah. seems like, these days, you know. And, and you know, Dissipation and, trophy. And for, for you know, Kathy, I, you know, I love that slide, and I'm going to get that reference uh, where you show the different generations and what they're, what motivates them, et cetera. But it is, you know... It, it is a challenge where, you know, people, it seems like, you know, coming out of college and I'm a consultant, you're consultants, you know, for how can you be a consultant? You haven't even worked in the field and you're giving people advice. Yeah. Already. And I think it's just, that's the expectation. I mean, they may be that good, Peter, I don't know, but it, it, I, I think there is a, there is a sort of a, the gears don't mesh with the, and I'm sure it's true, TJ, in all industries, but uh, we should learn how to, how to marry those better because, you know, I'm I'm definitely dealing with that exact that those situations in my lab as well. Wait till you get to the generation beyond the millennials. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'd love to have an I3 that has somebody talk on the generations, just in general, period. Well, usually these conversations sort of, you know, sort of migrate to this anyway. You know, it's a, you know, it's a real hot topic, as is, you know, like burnout and, you know, and workload. I think what a lot of staff haven't thought about is, is that many clinics have been closed, so they've taken a, a massive financial hit. How was that? And and TJ, I did have a question which I wanted to ask, you know, most people that, you know, I, you know, we don't want numbers, but I wanted to do a assessment because we've done many on on the effects of COVID and how we've changed, okay, and how we changed our working thing. But like as an industry, you know, how bad a hit was that? Because I think people have to know that because if you're not making money or if you're not getting that money that comes in, then you can't pay your staff, can you? Look, I remember exactly where I was on March 17th when the ASRM issued their shutdown guidelines. And as the largest network in the country, we felt like we had to um, comply, although, you know, I openly disagreed with how they implemented it. I think that, you know, they were doing the best they could with what they had at the moment. And, you know, it impacted us in different ways in different places. It impacted us in places like New York differently than it did in places like Nashville. But I mean, as a system, we were we lost you know close to fifteen million dollars during that period. I mean, that's a, that's a considerable impact. Um, you know, we you know we were recovered well. Um, we, we we took a lot of very drastic measures to uh, to ensure that we could bring staff back on as fast as we could. We you know we had patients that were very upset that they were that their treatment was delayed. It was a lot of moving pieces and a lot of. Uh, very dynamic uh, stress associated with people coming back to work with COVID, and, and but but at the same time you have patient pressure, wanting them to get uh, get started. They feeling like they have a limited amount of time, and so you know, I think that you know while I wouldn't say the pandemic is behind us, I would say that within the clinics, we, we you know we have returned you know to pre-pandemic or above volume uh, across the system. But there's no question that there's things operating differently than there were than it was before, and we're probably never going to go back to a world where everything's in person and everything, and nothing nothing's done virtually anymore. I think that there's a lot of things that the pandemic did that helped us because it accelerated a lot of um, you know the move to allowing for virtual consults with your physician and things like that that would have taken a lot longer to get adopted. <clears throat> um, so in a lot of ways, it's going to end up being better for patients, um, but certainly um, you know. There's a hole that we dug out of, but you know, at the same time, we try to we, we're trying to focus on the on the future and what we have to what we have to do invest in meeting the needs and the demands of what our patients are going to want from us over the next you know, eighteen months, two years, three years, four years, five years, ten years, and do our best to try not to look back at the painful part of 2020. So. But also, like, is going back to normal the best we can do? And it's not because we've like redefined, we've become streamlined. We've um, you know, we're doing much more work you know, like remotely um, and stream on than we've ever done before. Well, I mean, great example, my, when my wife and I were going through this, I traveled a lot for, for, for my, my, my oncology business. And there were doctor's appointments that she attended that I couldn't go to. Imagine a world where she's there in person and I'm attending virtually or we're both doing virtually. I, I mean, it would allow me to be a much more engaged and a better partner to her. Uh, as much as I try to be as, as much as I could at the time, I, you know, I mean, this, and this is not just our industry. I mean, right now, you know, I'm able to attend every one of my children's parent teacher conferences now because uh, I can do it no matter what part of the you know, country I'm in. And, and, and that makes me you know, a better dad. I mean, and a better partner to my wife. And so I, I think it, there's a lot of things that we're never going to go back to the way it was, uh, whether it's fertility or otherwise, and we'll all be better for it. One thing um, we didn't talk about today, I intended to, but was to talk about not just the coalition of, of centers, but vendors. Uh, I mean, that, yeah, yeah, that's going to be a, a 
problem, in my opinion. Yeah, um, I did try and so we're get slowly going to one company, and it's not. Good yeah, either. yeah. Um, I did try and get not not so slow even. <laughs> <laughs> I think there was a there was a good there's a good question came up, I think, on vertical integration about other businesses that align with facility. Yeah, spot, I thought that would have been a good one for TJ to cover because if you look at you know his company, he's got a number of different companies in there, all aligned. He's got pharmacy, he's got donor, I think he's got cryo. There's a good question there. I thought I saw it about about vertical integration. I thought that was a real interesting question for him to because that's something that you know some of the uh, the corporates. Who are taking over things are looking at that you know we've seen i think uh, there's a company called future life in europe they're a czech czech republic based company they acquired a ultrasound business in ireland and they're trying to get the two to work together and we got virtus uh, in australia we've got our own um we've got a virtus diagnostics company which we're heading more into genetic science and pathology is part of what we do as well so that was an interesting question i thought about alignment of different businesses but like i said i did try and get um you know the two big players on but they were um they were not responsive but also you know how can you fit it all in really you know you would have been here yeah. a long time so so definitely yeah yeah i'm always interested in, in innovation as well and i think um innovation often happens at the fringe and i think watch out for you know, a company that comes in and starts disrupting the space. And I, I don't think it will be from an obvious place. I think it will be from some some smart kid somewhere will come up with, with an idea. And I think that's often how it, how it works. A group, group of smart millennials probably will come up together and, you know, really start to disrupt the space. So that's all I'm always mindful of and watching for. You know, I think I think they're, they're more fleet-footed than the big corporates. That's why you get... You know, Google buying little startup companies because they know that as well. They're always looking for those innovators, aren't they? You know, bring them up. So that's that's what I'm looking for in the IVS space. I'm not seeing it just yet, but maybe it's not quite on my radar. Brilliant. Look, thank you very much, everybody. That's been really good. Okay, thank you. All right. Thank you. Really, thank I really you. appreciate you it. All. all right. All right. Thank, thank you. you guys. Take care. It's great to see you. Thanks a lot. Thank you. So we talked about the changing face uh, of the IVF arena, and there were some emotive views. And as usual, what happens on i3, we usually uh, gravitate to talking about the new generations that are entering the IVF industry. This created a lot of uh, feed on our social networks, and Shaister Sandruden, who's one of the i3 team, wanted to discuss this more. So you'll join us now when we have a further discussion with some younger embryologists talking about the state of the industry and what the differences or what the true differences between the generations of embryologists are and how they feel about the perception that they work differently or in fact they work less. So first up we'll hear from Shyster talking about how she got into embryology and interestingly perhaps we should think about how we should recruit new embryologists going forward. Oh my story is that it fell into my lap, quite literally. I was working on my undergraduate's degree and um, I attended the University of Georgia and I was going to the career fair. I knew I wanted to do something in medicine. I, I didn't quite have a path paved yet, but I went to a career fair and um, there was a clinic who was looking for egg donors from college students. So they gave me their information and I gave them my resume and I got a call from Thomas Elliott. <laughs> wow, that's... That's interesting because these like career fairs, if they did in fact have like courses for like embryology, then perhaps people would think about them better. 
Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, and and I see that in other industries where people do attend career fairs or do some lobbying for certain courses to, to you know to make them aware of a certain course. So that's could be a way to get into the embryology, couldn't it? We were chatting to some senior embryologists and some quite big names in IVF and um, the writing is on the wall that many embryologists are aging out. So there's going to be a population of people that are going to be leaving pretty soon. Is the younger generation ready for it? I think this is a very interesting point that people keep bringing up because it's it's happening worldwide, right? We have we have the older population growing out, retiring, a younger population. It's not just our industry; it's everywhere. But for some reason, I don't know. I feel like it's it feels very. Um, this conversation or this topic feels very prevalent in our industry specifically. And I, I took a step back to see why I felt that was. And I think it's because the generation that um, predates our, my generation, our generation, again, laid, laid the stepping stones, laid the foundation for IVF. IVF is so relatively new and has been so relatively new um, in terms of, of medicine historically that Seeing the people who have made all these landmark discoveries and and um, procedures and media, all, all everything they did was was new uh, for them. For us, it's learning what they have already established. So I think I think that's why it's it's hitting really hard, particularly in our industry, is because it's that generation who built everything, and then the next generation is about to take over. So it feels very monumental. So is there a real, real like, you know, difference in the way you work? I mean, there's often we've spoken before about, you know, a new type of embryologist coming in where you don't have to make media, okay, and, and, and things are already made. But obviously you've got other skills involved as well. Is there any other sort of like generation gap that you can think of? And I'll invite anyone else to speak about that. Do you notice the generation gap, perhaps in the communication? I don't know if this is the answer to the question, but I do feel like some of the older... Uh, or more, like embryologists, they're more like set in their ways of doing things. They want to do the things from like um, the way that they've been taught like many years ago. And in like some of the clinics I've worked in, like it's really hard to like make a change. They just want to like stay with something that feels so safe. Like obviously we're working with really precious cargo and they don't want to make a change that might like negatively impact that. But like sometimes you have to be like a little bit more flexible and open. So um, that's one thing I've found in the clinics I've worked in, like the difference between the young and the old, like maybe the younger people are more like open and adaptable to take on something new. I definitely agree. It's harder to also communicate too, because you, you go in, especially, you know, learning to train as a younger person in the lab and you pick up and learn different types of efficiency even. And, and it's just so different that it's almost a shock to other people and it's hard for them to grasp um, changing something that, you know, uh, what was I told? I was told, you know, at the beginning of my time at this clinic even is why fix something that isn't broken. And that's, to me, I don't think is, a, is always true because there's always room for improvement, especially in science. You know, there's always something changing, something that's gonna be better and it's not like we're pulling the rug and then just changing everything, you know, the next day. Of course, we're going to approach it like scientists. We're not going to just risk everything just because we heard something is better. Sure. So what I about, think there's yeah. misconceptions. What about like, um, you know, many times we've heard, you know, embryologists say that they haven't got time to train. 
you know, they're so busy and, and perhaps they want someone that comes in, which is very difficult, come in that's already trained. I mean, what's your opinion on that? But also, you know, has that, has that happened to you? You know, have you felt as though there hasn't been time to be trained? I, ha- I felt that like a lot in the first few clinics that I worked in, like nobody was willing to train. They always wanted to like, and especially in Ireland, because we don't have any like training programs it was very small we didn't have any masters it was constantly like hiring people who were like a little bit trained like who could do like sort of egg collections and bring them in like from abroad and it was just like really frustrating because you're constantly like not getting the opportunity to like train in the clinic because they always want someone a little bit more skilled and yeah that was really disheartening yeah I agree with you (laughs) At least the problem that we had is that when we had the opportunity to employ someone else, it's when we are really busy. So that's why we can uh, find another person to join the clinic. So at, at that moment, you need someone who is more or less trained to help us. But on the other hand, I've been on that point when I wasn't have any experience at all. So I would like to have that opportunity. So it's very tricky when when you need to find anyone with experience I mean yeah it's just like how are you going to have a pool of experienced people if nobody's willing to train anybody and it just kind of I wholeheartedly agree and I think the issue is also you don't want to train anybody but then you want to complain about how we don't have enough embryologists in the field which is so true we we need more you know the supply and demand of the volume that we see in our IVF labs versus the embryologists we have is not is not adequate um, at this point in time. And it's because nobody can get their foot through the door. So yeah, I think people are not willing to train. Um, you know, they want people who are already skilled. And part of that reason is because probably they're waiting too long to, to hire on new people. You know, you, you want to take on somebody when you have the capacity to train them, not when you're already so stretched and your current embryologists are burned out and stretched pretty thin is not an ideal time to be trained or to be the one training. So it's it's kind of this, you know, catch 22 that a lot, almost all IVF labs are, are um, in, in, in the current climate. There's been a lot of talk about, uh, and again, I feel so old saying the younger generation, but there's been so much talk about people saying about the the difference to work ethic in the younger generation and 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 um andrew thompson of crgw who's an elder millennial he's one of the oldest millennials we know he said that perhaps people of his age um just work smarter rather than more i know me and vivian have some thoughts (laughs) well yeah i sweat every day and i'm currently 33 weeks pregnant at age 30, still working full-time as a senior embryologist in a full-capacity lab with a a staff that's, you know, still in the progress of training junior embryologists. Like, it's not, it's doable. And just because we work more effectively and efficiently doesn't mean that we're working less. Our care is still the same. Our efficiency, our efforts are still going to be the same. It's just that we've grown to work smarter and harder, but only in certain areas. We're stretching ourselves in other ways rather than what, you know, others are perceiving as being lazy. Um, And those are, you know, heavy quotes because being told that you're the lazy generation or not putting enough work ethic is super offensive. I didn't pay all this money to go to school to get into 
a lab, several labs. I've worked with at least three or four of them in my eight years of being an embryologist and only to be called inefficient or lazy. It's super offensive. And that's just my personal take on this, um, this topic specifically. <laughs> yeah, I definitely, I don't think that we're a lazy generation or lazy people in the lab. Like there's definitely like older people that I, I've worked with I I'm working with like that you I know that they don't put in as much or like maybe they're used to a different way of of working and we can do a lot more than them and I think as well maybe with like technology and things like that we're much more adaptable we can get through like uh, like a lot more of the the data inputting like a lot more quickly than somebody um perhaps that's not as well equipped <laughs> or uh, with that so yeah. yeah, and I mean, I find that you know that many people are more happy to, uh, you know, to be on the laptop working, you know, different hours to what I would believe to be normal hours. So uh, these people may not be at work at the time, but they'll be, you know, in bed on the laptop, you know, mm. looking at Excel spreadsheets and doing the stuff which I can't do. Yeah, definitely. I think also like clinics maybe now as well need to be taking, you know, like. When I worked in the sperm bank before and they were very like good at um, adjusting to the way of working now and like other industries where you could work from home when you wanted. So you was more like a little bit flexible when you could do like some of the data stuff from home. Um, so maybe that's something as well for us to consider from IVF clinics. I don't know if other IVF clinics already do that, you know, so like if you could do an audit from home, why not do that in like different hours and have um, a bit of a work-life balance. What about you, Maria? Have you thought about like the generations, perhaps where you are in Greece, and uh, you know, is 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 there a definite older generation there? Has it stopped you from rising to the top or something? I think that the workload is much larger. I think that we learn more in less time, and uh, I think that I I didn't have problem about training because of that, and. Um, I think that also the number of embryologists is growing, so the competition is bigger, so it is difficult uh, uh, for a young embryologist uh, to make a difference, so we must try every day to prove ourselves, and um, as young uh, embryologists are trained really well from embryologists that are many years in the assisted reproduction, um, I think that, that that combination that uh, the experience we have gotten from the older and, the, and from studying uh, the rapid developments in IVF, as we are really focused and uh, dedicated in studying new practices in our sector, I think that uh, created the perfect result as uh, uh, young embryologists are uh, the most capable and suitable to lead embryology to the next day. So there's no... <laughs> Uh, no reason to be worried about the future. Instead of making these, you know, generational differences, I hear people making these blanket statements. I think we would be better served if we accepted that the work culture of our society as a whole, it's changing and it's evolving. And um, employee needs are changing. And I think managers and C-levels would be remiss if they, if they weren't attuned to that. And we need to address those changes. So making these sweeping generalizations across different age groups, it's, it's toxic. It doesn't help anybody. It, it 
doesn't it doesn't make the working conditions that we want to be in conducive. I, I think the issue is that we as a society and we as a culture are realizing that we need more of a work-life balance and technology is advancing enough to the point where we we can have that. We can have, you know, we have time lapse in, in uh, a lot of labs that allows a little more flexibility and wiggle room. Um, you know, it, thing, things are changing. So yeah, we may not have skills like pulling pipettes or making our own, you know, batches of media like the generation before us made, but the generation after us may never need to do a biopsy again. You know, we may have the non-invasive PGT technology could potentially come so far. I'm still waiting on roboticsy, you know. <laughs> and I can sit there and complain about about this young generation who doesn't even know how to ICSI. Oh, you know, they're so lazy. Uh, no, only joking. But whatever we we don't do from what was done before, we pick on. We we you know like um, like other people have said, we we know how to attach PDFs <laughs> to emails, which a lot of older generational people don't know how to do. So there's pros and cons to 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 each generation. Um, but I think making these sweeping generalizations is not it's not helpful to anybody, and it's it, it doesn't it doesn't make us progress as an industry. We all need to work together, no matter what our age group is. Do you think people of my age and perhaps a little bit older, do you think we're just a little bit too nostalgic? So we're thinking of, not that you've got to go through all this, but, and I, and I was speaking to a very uh, famous scientist the other day who instills on the history of, you know, to know who Biggers was and who Brinson was. But because we're sort of making comparisons, which aren't relevant now, because because the media we buy and it's quality controlled and we can use that we can open a package and we've got an ICSI pipette you know do you think that we're just being a little bit too nostalgic yeah well there's no need to be blowing pipettes or making your own media these days when you can buy it from the manufacturer super cheap and clean and probably better quality than you made before and so the skills have become redundant almost like I don't feel like we need to take that on anymore i think one of the things maybe that the like the science will go and and to be quite honest because that we're moving into a new era of more automation perhaps you know and things being more off the shelf you know perhaps the, you know the job of, of the embryologist for many people which is fine will be more of a of a lab technician job they'll be highly skilled okay but they'll be doing the job and they haven't got to um, you know, run around with a pH meter or, or do some equations, you know, on the back of a piece of paper. Perhaps that's happening in this industry. Do you think we're leading towards, uh, you know, a culture of of lab technicians or, you know, or do you think there'll be a mix? I think that this gives us an opportunity to think more. I mean, why give us more stress on doing something that's already been manufactured for us where we can actually just look at our own data and ask more questions and, and how to even further progress in our field knowing what we already have perfected we don't have to ask more questions about the basics of embryology but there's so much that we can continue to ask for progression in our field like we want to be just like the pioneers but in our own way without the stress of having to worry about if our media is going to fail i mean of course quality control and quality assurance should always be there in any lab you go to but to be scientists along with embryologists instead of just technicians because our field i mean we're constantly thinking of our patients 
you know, there's so many things that are out of our control, uh, follicle stimulation, types of protocols, things like that. We can think outside the box with the doctors and make it even more inclusive and expand our, our minds even more in our field without having to worry about the basics getting messed up in any way. It will give our generation and future generations and even the older generations time to think forward and more just like our uh, non-invasive PGS and, and whatever else is going on in the field. There's so much opportunity for that. So why, why struggle more with the basics? Having like things like media production and like the consumables produced off site, it also like is, it's like there's a special team like devoted to developing like top quality media and like hearing the feedback from like what the, the embryology lab needs and wants. So like, it takes it out of the lab and into like a specialized field. So there's more time to dedicate to create the, the best of the best. I was just going to go back to your point about the nostalgia. Um, I think the older generation is definitely nostalgic, but I think rightfully so because they that's their heart and soul. They put everything into into creating this field and and pioneering so many different things. So I, I understand that, but, you know, I will say the one thing that I think the, the newer professionals coming in can lack if they're not trained properly is troubleshooting skills. I will give them that benefit of the doubt. I do see that the senior embryologists, because they have that history, because they have that background, which I think is important for all of us to learn. And I, and I don't think it gets taught enough to newer embryologists coming through, but being able to, if something does go wrong, you know, what, what's your backup solution? If you're, if you're only working with, you know, one type of laser and, and your laser breaks down, what do you do? How do you handle it? That kind of thing. I think, I think those are skills that need to be better taught to the younger generations. And that is something that, you know, we can complain about all we want, but it, it's ultimately in the hands of our industry, right? So if, if the newer generation is not taught that, it's because the older generation didn't teach them how to troubleshoot properly. So, so that is something definitely to keep in mind as you, as you train newer people is to, is to teach them how to work with the equipment they have, but also what to do when that equipment goes wrong, how to fix that equipment and, you know, what backup is there hmm. using, using fire right when your CO2 analyzer doesn't work, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> Um, not many people are your age now, about five, right? I must admit. So that's that's 10 points to you. But, uh, you know, a lot of the times, you know, people say about, you know, uh, it's long hours, obviously. Um, and perhaps there's a finger pointed, perhaps the people who are younger. Were you all aware going into this job, how many hours it would take and dedicated to this? That's, that's silent. So I presume not. Um, <laughs> You know, people people come and go, but I think in clinical embryology, the people that stick at it are you know are the ones to stay. Now we've all had experience of people that start the job and leave, and I think perhaps there's been undue attention of that. But you know, I think the people in the business have a passion for that. If you think about it, when you hire people, you don't hire them for their skills; you hire them for their attitude, skills you can teach. So I think it's all about meeting and trying to get to know um, like the younger generation when you're hiring people to come in for the right attitude to make that teamwork all the best. My last question to you all, okay, and I give you some time to think about this because I want to know what different gen generations you have in each one of your labs. So I'll just tell you now roughly the generations and I want to see what sort of mix you have in your labs. So we've got the baby boomers, okay, who are from 1946 to 1964. 
Generation X, a great generation, is from 65 to 1980. Generation Y is from 81 to the year 2000, the millennials, right? And then there's Generation Z or Z, which is from 2001 to 2020. So it's not going to be exact, okay? But perhaps what percentage, and you can say a half, a quarter, what kind of mix do you have in your lab? I'm going to start with Bushin. Is it only little old you? Me and Andrew. Not sure what age he is, though, but I think he's not. So he's closer to my age than he is to the others. <laughs> right. So what's that? Are we talking Generation Y, perhaps, are we? Mm-hmm. Okay. That was said cautiously. Shyster, have you worked out your calculation? I think I have a couple boomers, a couple Xs. Yeah. Um, and then I would say like three millennials, including myself, and then um, four millennials. We have a Gen Z and wow. yeah, and we actually are hiring another, another Gen Z who will be starting with us soon. So she will be the youngest um, in the lab once she starts in a few months. Now, can you say, have you noticed the difference in communication, hand on your heart? Is there, is there not? Is it something which you do anyway? Expand on what you mean by communication. Do people get it? You know, can you explain something and, and they'll do the job in hand? I think the group that I'm with now communicates very well um, throughout the generations. Obviously there are some, you know, there are some disparities. I think the older generations are a lot more weary. I've seen of, of something like, like phone usage in the lab, you know, and it's like, it's like our generation is so your phone is your third hand. Um, And, you know, our motto is as long as it's not impacting work, um, or getting in the way or hindering the quality of my work, why, why bother? Um, so that, that I think that that is something I've seen, um, you know, across multiple labs. Um, but I'm trying to, yeah, I can't think of anything else. But like a good mix then. Right, Maria, Maria, how about you? I think the majority of uh, the embryologists in my lab is born in, uh, in the 80s and uh, in the 90s, I think. Wow. Yes. We have uh, a senior uh, in the 60s. In the 60s, you mean uh, the 1960s, I presume? Yes. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. I know, uh, yeah, uh, yes, because I know him. You know, um, he wouldn't like you to be, you know, to say he's called 60 years old. So he was born in the 1960s something. Yeah, is <laughs> yes. that right? Got you. Got you. Okay. And even that, I think you're out, actually. He'll, he'll, he'll have words later. But you're a young group then, would you say? Yeah? Yes. Excellent. Excellent. I guess, and it is. I think it's very good because uh, uh, the work, uh, the workload, with it's uh, is much, uh, um, it's much larger, and I can see that we can use the technology and uh, we are familiar with it, and it is very important to use the electronic databases, and and uh, it's all easier. Brilliant, Vicky. How about you? So I think I have one of each. I have one generation X. And then the other one who is senior, I don't know if it's millennial, but late millennial, or is the next one, I'm not sure. And then there are two millennials, including me. And one who, I'm not sure if it's millennial or uh, Gen Z. Gen Z is the the youngest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. So, and I think the main difference is the, the technology. I mean, the use of spreadsheets, 
<laughs> I think is the the main gap. Well, you're digging a hole for yourselves because it may mean that you know you'll be dumped on all that kind of strange admin work which we get. You know. Well, that's I think when you need to like um, be able to work, you know, like learn from each other. So we should be able to learn the troubleshooting things or things like that from the older generation, and the older generation should be open to learning the other stuff from us because it's not fair to have like we you need to have like the skills equally distributed in the lab and everybody should be able to do um as much as the other you know or working towards that at least as we said before every generation has pros and cons mm -hmm. so i think we should learn from the older generations so, because we are going to take over so i guess if we learn from them from for instance how to the troubleshooting maybe we would be better and then we could teach the following generation so and they will teach us things to us so okay well thank you very much i think there's one thing which all defines you all and you're all stress junkies you, you all love the stress of the job that's what gets you up in the morning i think to chase it i feel like one thing i just that um maybe when you're talking about the older generation they feel like they've worked really hard to like grow the field but like Maybe it goes and recognizes the amount of determination it takes for an embryologist now to get into embryology, like they, you know, um, how dedicated they are to getting in and like working in that field. So it's not like it's just something that's, that they've stumbled into, which I feel like a lot of the older generation have just landed in that job. So there you have it. These are the fascinating insights from the younger embryologists who have just talked now. And I was keen to get the thoughts from my colleague, Thomas Elliott, on this matter, which you'll hear now. There are people that, and it's a cause of stress, isn't it? Sometimes if people have to talk to patients, but other times people want to have that input. So there are embryologists that spend more of their time dealing with that. And, and there's other ones who want to do more like IT work as well. Yes, no, I agree. I do think that, that the job has changed or, or the attraction has changed. As I said, with people like Jacques and, and yourself and Dr. Naj, the early pioneers of, of IVF, I think they were all attracted to the science research, discovering how IVF worked. Um, but they're still there, but they're still there if people want to do that. And they'll probably choose a place that does that more, you know, probably choose like a university um clinic if you want so the people that have got the drive will probably do that but it's always changing isn't it you know this job is always changing as you know it's changed a lot since we were young lads but also the actual jobs within that have changed if you want to be doing more qc god forbid then you could do that can't you there's certain like sub specialities i know people that love the it bit of it but you do have to get in the door though you know i do understand that yeah no i agree if you have any thoughts on this topic, then we'd really like to hear about this. So please rate and review this podcast. And if you want to continue this conversation, then please let us know. Be sure to visit ivfmeeting.com where you can watch our back catalogue of webinars. Plus you can sign up for future ones, download our electronic membership card and find all our social media so we can stay in touch.